sure love you guys. It is an honor and a privilege to be your pastor. And I thank you for accepting me for who I am. And I don't have to pretend to be anyone else, so I'm grateful. Um, we're going to finish up, like Brian said, our study in Hebrews this morning. And I don't know about you, but it's been such a rich, rich blessing for me to walk through uh, this letter. I've admitted to a few people that um, when I began teaching uh, as your pastor 14 years ago, which is kind of amazing, right? Almost 14 years ago now, um, we began a journey of going through different books in the Old and New Testament. But I made an error in judgment early on by holding off for some of the most challenging ones to the very end, at least in my view. Because uh, when I read uh, books like Hebrews, um, there have been plenty of times where I would read a section and think to myself, I have no idea what that means. How am I going to turn around and teach that to, to someone else? But God has been so, so gracious to open up his word to my heart so that I can open up my heart to you. And, and I hope you know, uh, as I've tried to express before, I am just teaching you every Sunday out of the overflow of what he's teaching me because we are definitely in this together. So I'm a little bit sad to see this come to a close. It's been really good. But as we do, I want to remind you of the primary goal of this letter, knowing that this was written to a specific people at a specific time with a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose was to magnify the supremacy of Jesus Christ above all things. You may remember that when we began this letter. In fact, that's why we gave this title, Jesus Greater. Greater than what? <laughs> Everything. And the book of Hebrews just unpacks it one right after the other. We began by showing how Jesus is superior to the angels who delivered the law of God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And for that Hebrew audience, this is important because what those angels communicated in their mind was the most important message that God had ever revealed to his people. So the author wants us to know and understand that what Jesus brings is superior to anything that they had to say in every possible way. He began his letter in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. So Jesus, through whom the world was created, now brings to us a promise of a new creation, the hope of redemption the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life. He is greater in every possible way. He's greater than Moses who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. He is superior because he now leads us out of slavery to sin. As Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law. As we just sang, you are under grace. It is the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ that now rules and reigns in our lives. Jesus is our Savior. He is our mediator before a holy God. And he then looks at that 
Levitical priesthood, and he's saying, no, Jesus is superior in every possible way. He is morally flawless. He is eternally available. He is a ruler of the unshakable kingdom of God. As he tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the works of his power. Jesus is superior because when you see Jesus, you see God. Through him, we have this new covenant in Christ made possible through a perfect sacrifice that unlike what you see in the Old Testament, is never to be repeated. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 says, For he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. By faith, we are beloved, completely forgiven, eternally secure. This is at the heart of the letter to the Hebrews. Written to, again, magnify the supremacy of Christ. Written as a reminder to a struggling people who are struggling with with worry and doubt in the midst of persecution. So the author is urging them to to hold firm, to, to grip strong this message of the gospel, knowing that enduring faith is, in fact, the evidence of a saving faith, a genuine faith in God. And they can be secure in this legacy of faith that has been passed down from generation to to generation to generation. A consistent message from a perfect Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is before all things. And in him all things hold together. From the uttermost reaches of the universe to the minute details of our daily lives. This is the assurance that the author wants his audience, and and we, as we read it together, we want it to sink deeply into our hearts as well so that we may live lives that are, in fact, ruled by the supremacy of Christ, hearts that are strengthened by God's Spirit, comforted by God's peace as we live in unity with God's people. And as the author closes out this letter, that is the resounding message that he wants us to grab a hold of. So before we look at that together, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to come to you in prayer, knowing that even as we speak, we are addressing the one who is in our presence. Not distant and far off, but you have drawn near. Your spirit at work in our lives, revealing your truth in ways that reshapes our lives to become conformed into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to gather as a people to to open up your word. The very words you breathed out and speak to us. It's living. It's active. So Lord, would you use that power of your word through the work of your spirit to penetrate deeply into our hearts so that our lives would be impacted and changed. And as we walk out the doors this morning, we're not the same people who walked in because we are 
changed by the work of your spirit, through the truth of your word, to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. All right, turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll pick up where we left off last in verse 17 as we finish up uh, the letter to Hebrews. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things, and, and I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. So this is a little awkward (laughs) to uh, read a verse as a leader about how you should obey and submit to your leaders, right? It's a little awkward. But really, honestly, not really. Because I think it's only awkward if you serve in a church where this is a problem. And I can tell you that it is an absolute blessing to serve as a leader in Melanie Park Church. Especially as I meet with other pastors and I hear their stories. I have a good friend. I'm really close to him. And he shared with me how uh, in one season of ministry where he served, there was a few people within the church who didn't particularly like his preaching. And so in an effort to help them, what they decided to do was make an assessment, a, a written review of each sermon, and then give it to him after he was done every Sunday. I mean, I would not want to show up on Sunday morning. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, that's painful. I have other pastor friends who tell me how those who um, have money will often use their donations to help dictate decisions within the church. There have been actual arguments about the appropriate length of a worship pastor's beard. There's been congregational votes on what kind of coffee to serve on Sunday morning. I'm not making this stuff up. And I am so grateful that the leadership of this church is not burdened by such silly things as that. Now, that doesn't mean we're a perfect church. That does not exist on the face of this earth. But I know firsthand that you are very kind and you are very gracious people. And so I do. I speak on behalf of all the elders and pastors who serve in leadership at this church and tell you with all sincerity what a privilege and an honor it is to serve you as we submit to the shepherding rule of Jesus Christ in our lives. That being said, I still think this is a relevant reminder Because it would be so easy to allow the divisiveness that undeniably exists in our world to find its way into the life of our church family. And so we need to be diligent to protect our unity in the bond of peace. And we need to understand that unity is not the outcome of some strategy within the church. Okay, Unity is a gift of God. And so it's not something that we create. Instead, it's something that we are called to protect. 
And one of the ways that we protect the unity and the bond of peace as given to us as a gift of God within the body of Christ is that we live in accordance with God's design for the church. And he has appointed some as elders and and teachers and pastors. And and as those who serve in that capacity, we want to take that calling very seriously. We want to shepherd with integrity as we fulfill the commission, as we read in this passage, to keep watch over your souls. Doing it with a sincere desire to see you flourish in your faith. To stand firm, even in some of the darkest, most difficult times, which we desire to be right there in the middle of it with you. Because we understand that we will be held account for what God has called us to do. James even warns us in chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. That's a sobering thought for somebody who's standing up here every Sunday morning to teach you. but I think it's also why the author asks the recipients of this letter to pray for him. To to, to pray for him and the other leaders so that they might lead, as he says, with a clear conscience. Living lives that are above reproach, which doesn't mean these are perfect people, okay? But what it does mean is that these are people who Do not allow sinful habits and behaviors to defile the name of Christ and to bring shame to his people. I honestly believe that what the author's trying to communicate here is that integrity within the body of Christ with both the leaders and those they lead is a shared responsibility. Because anytime I or anyone else who is in a position of leadership, anytime we become isolated from the community in which we serve, we inevitably will find ourselves in dark places and pathways to sin. Because if you look and go and do the research, if you look at the scandals that have taken place in ministry in our recent history to a person, They found themselves in dark places because they became isolated from the people they serve. Somehow separate, maybe even in many cases ruled by pride because they're different than the ones that they serve. And that's a trap. It's a deception. It's a lie of the enemy. We have a shared responsibility to one another. Because we're imperfect people. All of us myself included, and we're all seeking to faithfully follow Christ. I need you to grow in my faith just as much, if not more, than you might ever need me. Peaceful unity and honest vulnerability. And we know that that unity does not mean that we're always going to agree on every decision that's ever made within this church. But I hope because of how we live life together, that that even though we may not completely agree with the decision that has been made by the leadership, we trust their hearts. We believe in their desire to do what is right in the eyes of God. Because like a family, we don't just walk away when things get hard. 
We find a way to stand together. When it's hard, when it makes sense, when life is confusing, no matter what the situation may be, we are committed to each other because we have a a shared responsibility to one another. Look at how it continues in verse 20. It says, Now the God of peace, who brought you up from who, excuse me, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us with which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here the author pauses for a prayer which I consider to be one of the most beautiful, deep, theologically sound prayers that you're going to see in the Bible. And I want you to notice that after asking for the recipients of this letter to be in prayer for him, he takes the time immediately following to write out his prayer for them. Is that not the perfect example of what we just said about the shared responsibility that we have towards one another? He begins by pointing to the person who holds the key to their peace. Because remember, he's writing to a fearful and restless people. People who are longing for peace in the midst of their persecution. We know that they've been cut off from the protection of the Jewish communities that many of them had grown up in. And they're unsettled and insecure about what their future might hold. So the author urges them to view their perspective or their future from God's perspective. He wants them to know that that Jesus is their source of peace, which ironically is the very same thing Jesus told to his disciples, right? In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you? So, so do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be fearful. This is a promise of peace that the recipients of this letter so desperately needed to hear. Knowing that it is a promise made by a Savior who has been resurrected from the dead. The ultimate Savior who is living and active in our daily lives. The one who faithfully leads and fearlessly protects his sheep. See, they and we, we can find security in Jesus as our shepherd because of the eternal covenant in his blood. He's reminding them, you've been bought with a price. You belong to God. You are a child of his. Having been rescued from the domain of darkness and having been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The author makes it clear, those whom Jesus has rescued, he will equip to persevere. This is not some kind of journey that we're supposed to take on our own, but in every step of the way, he equips and provides, protects and leads. That's why In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are his workmanship, created, or you could put in there, equipped 
for good works which he prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. So what this is saying is that, is that we have everything we need to fulfill all that God desires in each of our lives. He's the one who, according to Romans 8, 28, works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called, again, here it is, according to his purpose, his plan. These are truths that we all need to hear, right? When, when our hearts are restless and uneasy, we need to know that we belong to the great shepherd who faithfully cares for his sheep. That we are secure because we live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Amen? And the kingdom is not in trouble. And so neither are we. Look at how he continues in verse 22. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. For I've written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released from uh, been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all your leaders and the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. I think it's interesting that the author, which he calls a brief exhortation, uh, just almost apologizes for some of the strong wording of his letter, some of the strong admonition of what he had to say. His primary goal was to encourage them, but he knew that that would include the need to, to challenge them along the way. The, the imagery that I get in my mind is the football coach that pulls up the helmet of a player who's having a hard day and he says, listen to me, look, everybody's going to fail, but we're not going to quit, okay? Let's finish strong. I see that as the same heart behind this letter. We all are going to fail, but we're not going to quit, we are going to stand together, standing firm for the sake of the gospel. So let's finish strong. Because when we struggle, and this is true for all of us, when we struggle, we have this tendency to become hyper-focused on ourselves. We become overwhelmed by the situation that we're in so much so, it's all we can see. And even when we begin to look into the future, we, we see a future without God in it. Which really is at the heart of all worry and anxiety and fear is looking forward to the future without God in it. Which admittedly is a terrifying thought. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, it is never, ever true. There is never ever the possibility as a blood-bought child of God that you will ever encounter anything in your life where God is not present with you as your shepherd and savior and supporter and friend. And so he calls us to remember who we are and whose we are. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to remember the words that we looked at last week in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, God speaking, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
so that we can confidently say, this is personal, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And the answer to that question is nothing. There is nothing that man can do to any one of us that God cannot redeem. So the author urges his his recipients of this letter to look outside of themselves to see the needs of other people, to, to not go get so consumed with their own problems that they don't realize that there are people who are struggling just like them. As he points to, people like Timothy, who's actually in prison for his faith. And the hope is that he will be released and, and the desire is for both the author and Timothy to, to come to the people who, who he's writing to, to see them in person. Until then, it says that he gives them greeting. Greetings from those who are in Italy, which shows you how far the gospel is continued to be extended. And he's saying that they send greetings knowing that the people in Italy are very likely going through very same persecution of the recipients in this letter, maybe even worse for some. The point being, when we look outside of ourselves, we'll see that other people are struggling just like us. Sure, we all have our unique challenges and difficulties, but we are all held together by the gift of God's grace. So the author wants the the truth of God's word to not simply inform our minds, but to miraculously transform our lives. What a tragedy it would be if we come here every single Sunday and feed our minds with information that never does anything to impact our daily lives. Because we can acknowledge our understanding of the supremacy of Christ. We can affirm the finished work of the cross and the hope of eternal life. But the question is, does the risen Savior rule and reign in your daily lives? And I'm not asking that question to make anyone feel guilty. What I'm asking here is is really an invitation. (laughs) It's an invitation to something better than anything this world has to offer because we have a shared responsibility as a spirit-filled covenant community in Jesus Christ so that when we find ourselves and we will to a person at some point in our lives we we will find ourselves in a place where we feel alone and abandoned and forgotten and we need to remember and we need to remind each other that the risen Christ is living and active in our daily lives, that he will not leave us and he will not forsake us. When we find in ourselves, uh, uh, find ourselves to be in some kind of a, uh, what seems to be a hopeless situation, we need to know that Jesus promises to be our everyday provision. Even in the midst of our pain and discomfort, that he's the source of a miraculous peace. Even in the midst of a terminal illness, He is our eternal security. A very present help in our time of need. When Jesus reigns supreme, He can redeem anything that sin has broken. He can restore marriages. He can rebuild friendships. 
even in our own lives, when we have sinned and we come to him in repentance, we know because of his grace, he always embraces us with mercy and forgiveness. He is gentle and lowly. And we will find rest for our souls in him. This past week, uh, we were working through the topic of trust in Regen. And we were discussing the evidence that the disciples and the people during Jesus' time had of the fulfillment of all the prophecies related to who Jesus was as the promised Messiah. Not to mention that they were eyewitnesses to a boatload, literally, of miracles that were happening all around them. And yet they saw Jesus through the lens of what they wanted him to be. A ruler who would rescue his people and establish his kingdom. They wanted a savior who would remove them from their circumstances and take away their suffering. And as a result, they failed to recognize Jesus as the savior who came to reconcile and rescue them from sin. In our curriculum, there was this question that I think is really powerful and pertinent to what we're talking about this morning. It says this, did you come to Regen, or I might even rephrase it, did you come to church this morning for relief from your suffering and circumstances or to know the Savior who came to transform your life? That's a really good question. And one I think that's at the heart of the letter of Hebrews as well. Because when Jesus reigns supreme, our circumstances may not change. But we are held secure by a Savior who never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, including our daily lives. I told my region group this past week that God has not removed the struggles that I've had most of my life with emotional issues and difficulty, that that I still struggle with anxiety and depression, but I'm no longer ruled by them. And here's why. They lose their power in the presence of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that this becomes equally true for all of us as we share in this journey together so that we may stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the sake of the gospel. May may we protect the bond of unity and peace and that we would magnify the supremacy of Christ in our daily lives. And there's a passage in Jude that I want to finish with this morning because I think it brings a a beautiful close to what we've walked through together in Hebrews. Listen closely. It says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. To his name be praised forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for the privilege of this incredible letter. 
Thank you for opening our eyes to see truth that might be easy to look past. Thank you for making this and all the words of your scripture so relevant to our daily lives. Father, thank you that they have the power through the work of your spirit to transform us so that we're not just taking information into our heads, but we are letting it sink deep into our hearts so that it transforms how we live. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do this alone, that you will never leave us or forsake us, and you've put us within the community of a people who walk through life together, who share vulnerably with one another who can be fully known and still fully loved. What a blessed privilege that is to be a part of a church where that's true. So thank you, Jesus. You reign supreme, and we want to magnify you above all things to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Let's stand together. It's been so good, so, so good. Jesus is greater when he does reign supreme in our lives. No matter where you're at, I want you to know there's something better than where you are. Okay, so if you're in a season of life where things are good and it feels rich and meaningful, I just want you to know you've just barely scratched the surface. That the joy and contentment and hope that you are experiencing is just a taste of what he desires and has in store for you. So stay the course. And if you are in a dark in difficult place, first of all, please don't go there alone. Take somebody with you. Take me with you. I want to walk through it with you. I want to remind you of truths that I need to hear, and we will be strong together. But please don't ever try to walk alone. Don't ever try to hide from the help that is being extended to you by brothers and sisters in Christ. So let us stand firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let us go into the hard places trusting that we serve and magnify a Savior who reigns supreme over all things so that no matter where you're at, He has something better. Don't ever lose sight of that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the privilege of these people to share life with. Thank you for the joy that we have when we get to celebrate because of the experience of your goodness and the joy and contentment that we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But I also thank you, Father, for the privilege of walking with people in some very difficult and dark places in those wilderness seasons of our lives. Thank you for the privilege that we don't have to do that alone, but we can care for one another. Considering the needs of the other is more important than our own. Knowing that we are all in progress and we all desperately need you every single day. So may our hearts always yearn for something more. Being content with what we have, but realizing that God has created us for something more. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you for that promise. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.